It is a joy to be with you. Man, you guys sing. It's wonderful to be with you and to worship. I love our church. Our church sings as well, sings the same songs. But what a joy to be here. Amy, thank you for sharing. That was such a blessing. Uh, it was a joy to be with your pastors this week for a little bit on the retreat. They were men that I respect. I'm so grateful for them. Like I said, Mike and I, we, we met once before on a golf course years before, and Mike shot par on the front nine, which was amazing to me. I think you did. I think it was par. It was amazing. Then he blew up in the back nine, but he had already beaten the, he'd already, he'd already beaten the man he was playing. But That's right. <laughs> See, he remembers his traumatic. Um, but getting to know your pastors is a joy. I got to know them better uh, just over the last couple of days. Just appreciate them. And it's a joy to be here. It's a joy to lead this region. Most of you don't know me. When I talked to another pastor recently about going to their church, um, he said, I think I'd like for you to share, share God's word, but I'd like for you to share about your life too. Because I think people would want to get to know you better. You can't, you can't have trust in someone you don't know. So this morning's not going to be a, a, just a, a, a pure expositional message. We're going to start in Psalm 139. Last summer when I was here, it was the same way. I preached on doubt, if you remember, trusting God in the dark. And just shared about my struggles with doubt. Uh, today I'm going to share about the truth that God is individually and intimately involved in each of our lives. And I'm going to weave in how that came to bear in a very specific way on my life through a significant event that occurred. My wife reminded me 30 years ago. It's been a while. It's hard to believe. 30 years ago I was coming home from having laser surgery on my eye. And I began to experience severe headaches. Um... Like most of my, near, my siblings, I've been nearsighted since I was young. And before I had LASIK surgery, it progressively got, it got worse as I got older. I had, had uh, glasses since the second grade. And it got, my nearsightedness got worse through the years. So by the time, uh, before I had laser surgery, I had, my, I had Coke bottle glasses, very thick, like 20 over 1,200. If that means anything, anyone besides Christopher here, he understands what those are. But it's very bad eyes. And... My older sister had recently experienced a retinal tear in her eye, so that my, my eye doctor sent me to a specialist to have my eyes checked to see if there's something they could do preventatively so I wouldn't have the same thing occur. So I went to a specialist two hours away. He said, yes, you need to have some work done. You have some areas that are weak. And his nurse said, we have time and can do it now today if you'd like. And I said, sure, I'd love for you to do it today because I don't have to travel back. And she said, we can do one eye at a time. We'll do one eye today. And I said, that's great. Let's do it. And she said, well, we have to numb your eye. We have to numb the optic nerve behind your eye, which means going through here to do so. And uh, this is relevant later on. And she, I, she, I said, is it going to hurt? And she said, well, you're going to feel a lot of pressure. And then she made this comment, which was not helpful. She said, it's going to feel like your eyeball is going to pop out. That wasn't helpful. <laughs> And so the surgery, she did, they did, they numbed my eye, the surgery was performed, a patch was placed over my eye, and then I asked the physician before I left, I said, is this going to, is this going to hurt once the num, num, numbness goes out? And he said, no, but you'll experience a little bit, little bit of discomfort. And so I was supposed to keep the patch on for four hours, I decided I was going to drive home, I took it off two and a half hours, and as I was driving home, I began to experience severe pain in my head. And my first thought was, well, I'm a, I've been a dentist. I know what a little discomfort is. Um, so this, <laughs> this was a little discomfort. But the pain didn't ease up. It, 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 it stayed with me to the degree that I asked my wife. I pulled off the road said, you need to drive home. 
And when I got home, I canceled care group, went to bed, and the pain did not go away, and something was obviously wrong. And the questions we want to ask in these times is, where is the Lord in these times of uncertainty? Can we truly lean on him? This morning, this is what we're going to look at. Can we truly lean on him for strength and hope in times of trouble? And what promises are actually ours? Does he care? Is he personally involved in our lives? What does his word have to say in these moments? And so the title of this message this morning is God with us. And the main point is going to be what we've already sung about, what Amy shared about. We can trust God's sovereign care and rest in him in all of our trials. We can trust God's sovereign care and we can rest in him in all of our trials. And I hope this message will help you to get to know me a little bit more just from an issue in my life. Um, and much more, I hope this message will cause you to trust God more, that your faith will increase in Him, that you hope in Him in the midst of all the inevitable, everybody say inevitable, inevitable trials of life, and we don't know when they come and what they will be. And I pray that God will speak to your heart. Today we're going to start reading in Psalm 139. This is going to be a beginning scripture. We're going to look at it a little bit. Then we'll jump to some others in a bit. And the three questions specifically we're going to answer this morning is just turn to Psalm 139 is, are these. Number one, how intimately does the Father know us? In a general way or intimate, how intimately does the Father know us? The second point is going to be, the second question is going to be, how deeply does our Father love us? And the third question is going to be, how specific is our Father's care? How specifically does he care for us? So let's pray, and then let's read Psalm 139, and we'll jump in. All right, let me just pray for us. Father, we are so grateful we gathered here this morning. And Lord, we sing songs of life. Lord, we sing songs of grace. We sing songs of what you are doing and have done for us to set us free from sin and the wrath that we truly deserve. And so we come rejoicing. And Father, as we hear your word this morning, I pray you increase each person's faith here this morning in your care for them in the midst of trials. Lord, some will face trials. Some have faced trials. And some are facing trials right now. Lord, would you speak to each of us, I pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at Psalm 139. We're going to read 16 verses. And then we're going to answer the first question, how intimately does the Father know us? And you can think about that as we're reading these verses. Let's begin. I'm reading from the ESV version, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light Light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. 
your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How intimately does the Father know us? How intimately does he know us individually, not in general as people, but individually as, as a person? <clears throat> we know how the Bible begins, right? In the beginning, God created, right? That's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and everything that's here began with God. And what has been said about the world is true for the world is also true for you, specifically. In the beginning, you're thought of by God. These verses say, verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And then your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days were, that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. In, a been, in the beginning, God created the world. In the beginning, God conceived of you. Before you were ever born. That is, that's phenomenal, isn't it? We know it this way, but he's saying this way. Before you, your life began, before you were formed, God conceived of you and wrote all of your days in his book. It's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. And then, through the means of a male and female coming together, uniting physically, you were conceived, in fact. But first, you were conceived in the mind of God. He said, I conceived you, I knit you together, and I formed you. You are here because of the Lord's personal, sovereign will in hand. And friends, it is either this way or it is random chance. It's one or the other. You're either here because of time and chance or you're here because God sovereignly created you. Let me give you a little bit of, of information about you. You might know these things, but let me just refresh our memory. In every nucleus of every cell in your body, there are 23 pairs of chromosomes, except for the reproductive cells, which is amazing in itself. All right? Every cell in your body has a pair of 23 pairs of chromosomes except the specialized cells. All right? Each, in each of these chromosomes, there is DNA, which is a double helix coil. They wondered how they could get all this information about you in such a small space. Well, it's a double helix that if you stretch it out, it stretches out to six feet. Now, this is, in the, this is microscopic nucleus cell in every cell of your body. Six feet of DNA, DNA that, is, that tells what you're going to be like, what color hair you're going to have, all these things, all the characteristics that you have. You were created because these specialized cells came, one from your mother, one from your father, and by God's sovereignty, his decision, they came together from two different people, one from each person, step double, you with me? Step two, double chromosome, one from each person, and one cell began you. And by the time you're born, the next nine months, some ladies here are pregnant, in the next nine months, you are going to go from one cell to 28 billion cells. Pretty amazing, huh? There's a lot going on in there. A lot, lot going on. Now remember, six feet of DNA in each cell. As an adult, low end, you have 10 trillion cells. 
High-end, some say you have 37 trillion cells. Now, here's some of the, here's some of the figures. This, this is called an argument for God from complexity. So you've got six feet of DNA in 10 trillion cells. That means each person has 60 trillion feet or 10 billion miles of DNA inside of them. The higher estimate would be 37 trillion cells, as I said before. That's enough DNA in our body that if we put it end to end, it would extend from the sun to Neptune and back four times. Okay? Or if you take the higher end, that's from Pluto and the sun back 17 times or from Earth to the sun back and forth 71 times. That's in your body. Now, they can't really see all of this except when the cells are replicating. Then they can, see the, they can see the chromosomes lining up and dividing and matching up. Now, this either happened by chance or by a sovereign creator for each of you. How well does he know us? In, their, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, he saw my unformed substance. God is intimately, he knows you intimately. He was involved in you being who you are. He was involved in Amy being who Amy is. That's our God. But God's involvement in our lives, Psalm 139 says, it doesn't end at our creation. He not only created us, he knows us and deeply observes us. Oh Lord, verse 1 says, you have searched me and you know me. You know, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. I can discern my wife. I can see her. I know her from afar because she's four foot ten. And so from afar, if I can see her, I say, that's my wife. But he's not only discerning you outwardly, he's discerning your thoughts from afar, which means it's just a way of saying he knows you so well. He He even knows you if he's standing far off. That's how far he knows you. And he knows your thoughts from that distance. He knows us so so intimately. We read then in verse 3, you search my walking and my lying down. Everything about me. You are acquainted with all my ways. That's a little scary, isn't it? He's acquainted with all our ways. And then these words. Even before a word is on my tongue. Even before one word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Is that amazing? That's amazing. He knows us. And not only that, it says in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me, which means the Lord is continually involved, guiding, protecting, assisting when we don't know it, when we're adopted, when we're looking at where we're going to spend our, our future. The Lord hems us in behind before he lays his hand on us. He directs our paths in our lives. The Lord is continually involved, guiding, protecting, assisting. And then additional verses will tell us that the Lord is everywhere. It doesn't matter if we flee to heaven or we go to Sheol, which is hell, the place of the dead, good times, bad, whether in my bed or in Bangkok, Thailand, the Lord is there. There's nowhere I can go from his presence. What a God we serve, huh? Maybe just, I just thought we need to sing that first song again. We just want to sing it again. It says then, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Don't you love that? Shall hold me. Shall hold me, even in the darkest times. 
these words. The darkness is as bright as day to you, Lord. It's dark for me. Spoke about that last, spoke about that last summer, but it's not dark to you. There is no darkness with you. You're the father of lights. It's as bright as day to you, which means nothing impedes God's sovereign knowledge and involvement in your life. Nothing can impede that. He knows you. If you're sitting here and you're wondering, does God care? He knows you. Does he know what's going on in my life right now? He knows you. He's involved in your lives. He cares for you. And then that brings on the second question. How this God knows me? How deep is the Father's love for me? And some of you, I know, most of you here are Christians. Some of you here, you might have walked in today and said, I'm not a believer, but I want to see what's going on. You might not be a Christian. You might be here. You've been here a long time. And like Amy said, you're here and you know a lot about God, but you say, I don't really know God. How deep is the Father's love for us? Because here, here's the question for me. I start out with this story. Why the headaches? I'm 30, 35 years old, 36 years old. And at the time this happened, we have five young children, ages 2 to 12. Having these headaches with these five young children and a young wife. And after I arrived home that day, I had pain and some weird visual issues for weeks. For weeks. I took the patch off, one eye's regular, the other eye's dilated. Constantly dilated. I went back to the doctor. He asked me a bunch of questions, asked me various health questions. Went to the, my local physician, went to the specialist, talked to my brother who's a physician said, I'm having all these headaches. I'm afraid something bad has happened. And his, his answer was, Steve, when you, when you hear hoofbeats, when you hear hoofbeats, you think horses, not zebras, which means just because you have headaches doesn't mean something bad's happened. It probably hasn't. It's probably something not weird. You, you get what I'm saying? It's not, it's hor- in the U.S., it's horses. It's not zebras most of the time. Um, so he's saying, and he'll find out how wrong he was, but no, <laughs> no one knew what was causing my symptoms. And after many weeks they began to subside. And the visual symptoms, which would be like in this room, if I moved my head quickly, it was a little slow catching up, and I couldn't be in small places with a lot of lights, and I couldn't hardly stand to look at a computer screen. It was really weird stuff. But it went away. By June, a few months later, it's mostly over, and then it subsided. And then in September, we went on vacation to the Outer Banks, to the beach, where I wiped out terribly on a wave the last day, and then getting ready to come home, I was packing our van, the topper in our van, and I jumped up and banged my head really hard on the side of the car, or on the side of the van. And while driving home, my neck began to get stiff. I said, Linda, you need to rub my neck, man. My neck's really stiff for some reason. And when I got home, uh, I laid down again and rested, and then for the next several weeks, I was just trying to deal with pain in my head. It just, it was, it was just unbearable and it would move around and be here wasn't bad this was pretty bad this was intolerable and and my wife told me later she said you didn't say 10 sentences in seven days you didn't because my parents bought me a lazy boy chair to sit up I ended up sleeping in a chair and and I and I slept in that recliner went to, to neurologist he said I think you've got migraines he said do you see zigzag patterns and I said yeah I see zigzag patterns I think I'm a little bit that way too you suggest it, yeah, I got that. So, and he said, I'll give, you, <laughs> I'll give you a shot, and he just going to take care of it. In 15 minutes, he gave me the shot. It did nothing. And I always had the same question. Do you have any numbness? Do you have any weakness? You know, do this. Put your fingers together. And, and I was fine on all that. And then finally one Sunday, I was, I, was, I was still trying to work some. I could only work a little bit a day. 
but I was still preaching, but I had to sit on a stool because I didn't feel like I could stand, and I thought my leg went numb while I was preaching. And so then because of that, I was sent for an MRI and was told that the doctor would call me after they read the MRI. Well, I thought it would be, you know, how it is. It's going to be a week or so. He called me the next morning. He actually called my wife first and called me and says, I've got good news and bad news. Which one would you want to hear first? You want to hear the bad news, right? So I said, well, what's the bad news? And he said, well, I think you either have a tumor or have had a brain hemorrhage. And uh, I said, well, that's pretty bad news. I said, what's the good news? He said, well, we really don't know what, takes, what goes on in that portion of the brain. We could take that whole section off, and it probably wouldn't change that much. And I'm thinking, about <laughs> thanks so much. <clears throat> And then he said, this is too much. This is a neurologist. He said, this is too much for me to deal with. I'd like for you to go see a neurosurgeon. And I said, when do you want to go see? I'm thinking, make an appointment next week. It's hard to get in. He said, no, I think I'd want to find out what's going on. I'd like for you to go this afternoon. It was about 11 o'clock. I made you an appointment with a neurosurgeon here in a couple hours, and I'm an hour away. So my wife and I left our young children with friends and went over to see the neurologist. And we walked in the neurosurgeon, I'm sorry, the neurosurgeon's room, he had about 20 photos on the wall, and I think we have one of them here. And I'm, is, it, is it projecting up? Okay, so if you look on this picture, you can see something's not normal in that picture. And there was about 20 pictures all around the room, and we sat in there, and I got to see pictures of that. And I'm thinking, that on the right side does not look. I'm, I'm a dentist, but I'm not stupid. That's not supposed to, <laughs> that's not, that's not supposed to be there. And we sat there looking at those pictures and I'm, I'm thinking, I hope that's not me. And when he walked in, I said, is that, is that my MRIs? And he, and he said, yeah, it is. And uh, he said, I don't think it's a tumor. He said, I think you've bled in your brain. It's a cerebrovascular accident. He called it a bomb in the brain. And he said, I don't think it's bled once. I think it's bled more than once, which made sense with the symptoms that I'd had. And I said, has my bleeding stopped? And he said, yes, it's, it's not bleeding right now. If it hadn't stopped, you would not have made it here. And he said, but this is too much for me to deal with. This is a neurosurgeon. And he said, it's too much for me to deal with. I want to send you to UVA. And you never want to hear the words, I want to send you to UVA when you live in our area because that means they can't handle it in the regional hospitals. They're going to send you to the, the Learning Center, University of Virginia Hospital. To, uh, so I said, when would you like me to go? You'll schedule time next week. He said, well, I'd like for you to leave now if you would. So I'd like, once you, once you get your x-rays, and I want you all to drive down, it's about an hour drive, and I'm going to have you ad admitted when you get there. So, so we drove, and you can imagine, driving down the interstate with your, with your MRIs, with this picture, you know, and you're thinking, what's going to go on? He said, I'm not sure what's going on, but he said, it's too much for me to handle, and I'm going to send you down there. And then we ask these questions in those times. How much does the Father love us? Why would something like this happen if he loves me? Those are the questions, aren't they? If he loves me, I'm a Christian. How, how much does he love me in this moment? When we're having this trial and I'm experiencing this situation in my life, how can, can we be certain of his love? And that's what we dealt with. So we went to the UVA hospital. They admitted me. Linda was put down into the waiting area. And it was hours of getting up into the room. And they prepped me with, with certain things they put in, into me in case they had to do surgery in the morning. And, and, uh, and, that, and the, uh, the nurses, God bless them, 
I'm laying in the hospital bed, and they, and they pulled another bed up for my wife to lay next to me. So they brought a second bed in the room. They don't do that. You know, I knew this is not good. They're bringing this, another bed. So she laid there in the bed beside me, and I laid in this bed, and we held hands, and we didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. And I lay in bed that night, and I started asking these big questions. And this is why we started with Psalm 139, because it talks about how well God knows us. But I began to ask these questions. Here's the questions I asked. Number one, is there really a God? Can we be certain there's a God? You know, you're sitting here, and you wonder. And I would encourage you, read God's Word Remember, try to memorize God's word when you're young. It's easier when you're young. But study God's word. And as I sat there and asked these questions, and it was, this was the Lord's kindness. He brought passages to mind. So the first question is the big one. Is there really a God? And Psalm 19 is what came to my mind. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day it pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. We, we live in West Virginia, a town of 800 people in the Mount Allegheny front of, of the Appalachian Mountains. It's beautiful. It's on the eastern side of West Virginia. It's the prettiest parts of West Virginia. It's the eastern, the whole eastern panhandle down the right side of West Virginia. Uh, no coal mines in our area. The falls are beautiful. The skies are beautiful. Uh, at night, on, our, on land that my dad owned, we, there is no ambient light. You can sit there and see the stars, you know, millions of stars, the Milky Way on clear nights. The falls, the colors are amazing, many years. Uh, the sunrises are pretty. The heavens declare the glory of God. I just said, yeah, there's no way. There's no way this happened by chance. From an argument of, from an argument of beauty instead of complexity, there's, why the beauty? Why the beauty? If it's just chance, why, why the rainbow? Why the sky blue? Why the grass green? Why the leaves have all these colors? Why the, it's a brilliant world we live in. It's just brilliant. It doesn't have to be that way, but it is. And we see the Hubble telescope now, and we shine in, and we see these other universes. And it's amazing, these stars. And you just say, the heavens declare the glory of God, folks. And then we read on in Psalm 19. Their voice goes throughout the hall of the earth. And their words to the end of the world. Everybody sees this. We see it. And Romans 1.20 says, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. We know there's a God. Man knows deep in his heart that there is a God. So I laid on that hospital bed and I said, I know there's a God. God's word is true. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then the second question came out, is this God sovereign that you believe in? Is he sovereign? And that was a pretty easy question. If he's, if he's not sovereign, he's not God. Something else is, right? If it's, if it's, if it's, if it's chance that makes it rules, then it's the sovereign ruler of the universe. But no, our God is the sovereign ruler or he would not be God. Then the next question was, is, how do you know this God's good? Right now, you're laying on the hospital bed. You don't know if you're going to have surgery in the morning. They're going to run tests. They don't know. I mean, later on, they ran tests the next day, and the guy said, I mean, I'm laying, I'm, they're, they're shooting dye up into my, up in through here, up through my groin, up through the vessels to figure out what's going on in the brain, right? They shoot this dye and it goes, poof, and it, it's like a light bulb goes off and you see all the veins, in the back, you just see, it's really weird. And then they take pictures of it and then I watch them go out in the hallway and they're holding up a picture and they're getting doctors to come over and they're all looking at it and they've got me monitored and my heart rate starts increasing. And the nurse says, are you okay? I said, well, I'd, I'd kind of like to know what's going on in the hallway. 
And, and, and the doctor said, we, we get the hard cases. We don't get the easy ones. We di- we're called to diagnose the difficult cases, and we don't know what's going on. We think we do, but we aren't sure. So how do we know that God is good? As you're laying there in the hospital, and the next day you don't know if you're having brain surgery, your kids are at home, now they're being told your daddy's going to be staying in the hospital for a couple days. How do I know he's good in the midst of all this? And this is the, these are some of the verses that came to mind. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. And that's true, isn't it? We know that from war. We might die for our friend. We might jump on the hand grenade for our cohorts. But God showed his love for us in this, though while we were still sinners, he died for us. It wasn't when we were his friends. He died for us when we were his enemies. He jumped on the hand grenade for the other side. He, he, took, he took the punishment in our place when we were still enemies. This is what's coming up. How do I know he's good? Right now it doesn't seem like he's good. You might be going through something right now and you're saying, I don't know if he's good. Well, you can be sure he's good when you go to Romans 5 and say, when I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. How good is he? And I knew for me that this particular brain issue wasn't happening because of God punishing me. I'm a Christian. And if you're not a Christian here, I urge you to consider Christ. Even this morning, consider Christ. This is for his people. For his people. I knew he, I knew he wasn't punishing for my, me for my sin. It wasn't a result of sin. Sometimes you can connect sin to the consequences. You can. But on this one, I knew. I'm not laying here with a brain hemorrhage because God is punishing me. Because if God was going to punish me for my sins, he would have, this is my logic, he would have killed me a long time ago. That's what I thought. I'm serious. I'm not joking. He would have killed me years before. This isn't because I was, I was convinced of that. But here's the truth. We know he's good. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He'd taken away the guilt of my sins. In Romans 3, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Isn't that, aren't those great words? As a gift we're justified by grace. Unmerited favor through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. These are the verses that are coming to mind laying there. Is he good? I know you're good. I don't understand this, but I know you're good. You love me. You died for me when I didn't know you. You, you, spoke, you brought the gospel to bear on my life. For me, it was in a revival service, 12 years old, sitting back about there. and the, not listen, I was sitting with two friends that didn't listen to much of the message, but when the, when, the, when the gospel call came, God turned my heart from being dead to being alive. And I responded to the gospel. By his grace, he did that. He didn't have to do that for me, but he did. So God has proved his love for me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, I would want to say, if you're not a Christian, he has done that for you if you receive him. He can be your Savior and your Lord, and all your guilt can be removed. Oh, you'll have to grow. There's things that probably, well, there will be things you want to grow into the rest of your life. But you will bear your sins no more. 
because God took them not in part by the whole. They were nailed to the cross on your behalf. Turn to him. Turn to this, we sang about, turn to this wonderful Savior. He loves me. I know he loves me. Well, what about the brain hemorrhage? How particular is God's care? This is the other question. So is there a God? Is he sovereign? Is he good? How specific is God's care? That's the last question. How particular is his care? I mean, laying in that bed, how particular does he care for me? And at this time, and in this life, folks, there was no guarantees what the next day would bring. We're in a fallen, broken world, and there's mystery. We talked about that last summer. We don't understand suffering, some of it. There's some of it we will not know in this world. But how specific is our Father's care? Lord, can I trust you even when I don't know what tomorrow holds? And this is a big one for us. This is a big one for you if you're trying to figure out what you're going to do in the next few years in your life. Can I trust God when he hadn't shown me his will yet? For, for you teenagers, you're looking ahead to the future. Can I, can I hope in him? Can I trust in him? I mean, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to walk differently than other people. There's going to be times you're going to be walking alone. There's going to be times you're not going to be in, in the in crowd. Can I trust him to bring about good? Can I trust you right now for me in life or in death? Because I didn't know what the next day was going to bring. I didn't know if it was going to bring life or death or what it was going to bring. And that's, that, that's a very clarifying time when you're not sure what the next day is going to bring. And then the Lord reminded me of these words that, that were so true to me and are still true to me today. If you remember in Matthew 10, Jesus was going to send out his disciples, and he said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, and some of you, they're going, to, they're going to drag you off, they're going to throw you in jail, they're going to beat you. In the same way they did it to your master, they're going to do, they're going to do to you as well. Don't worry about what you're going to, have, going to say because I'll give you the words to say, but these things are going to happen to some of you. And then he said these words, and this is, this, is, this is God's kindness to bring these words to mind to me. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then these words. How particular is his care? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In the other translation, it means apart from your father's will. Not one of them, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's will. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And he speaks that as an overstatement to say, you're worth a lot more than those sparrows. And there's not one of them that die apart from my will. Nothing will happen tomorrow by chance. You're in the Father's hands. You're in the Father's care. I will not die apart from the Father's will. There was still no guarantee what tomorrow would bring. But I knew that my good Father would watch over my life or my death because I'm worth a lot more than many sparrows. And so are you to the Father. The Father who sent his Son to die for me would determine what would take place the next day. And then, then came these familiar words, For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it, This is a supernatural, experiential statement I'm about to make. And by the Lord's kindness that night, I experienced the peace that passes all understanding. 
And I was convinced, based on who God was and his goodness and the truth of his word, that I believed whether I, because I had five young children, that whether I lived or died because I was his, he would work all of it out for good. And if I lived, praise God. If I died, the Heavenly Father would work it out for good for my wife and for my children. And I could trust him to do that. That is phenomenal peace. Phenomenal peace. And then I sensed the Lord ask, what would you like? And I said, I'd like to live. Uh, and this is subjective. I know it's experience. I just said, I'd like, I'd like, I think I'll go with living. <laughs> but it was, it was all very real, folks. It was just, it was, it was, it was truth. They ran the text next, test the next day, laid on Ted's table, shot this dop into my head and stood out there and looked at it. And, he said, and then he said, we, we get all the hard cases. We aren't sure what it is. We had all these guys looking at it in the hallway. They aren't sure what it is because there was a big blood clot in there. They couldn't see. They saw vessels going in. They saw vessels coming out. And they saw this big area the size of a golf ball that they couldn't see. And he says, we think... It's a defect called a congenital, it's a congenital defect called a cavernous hemangioma. You see them on the skin as what they call raspberries. It's when the vessels don't get together quite right from the arteries and the, and the veins come together and they, and they came in a, just into a big jumbled ball instead of going like this. It just went like this. And I'm guessing that when they numbed behind my eyeball and increased the pressure in there and it started leaking. And then when I banged my head, again, great pressure, it started leaking. One night I crazy thought, well, I'll take some aspirin. That was not a good night. Uh, another time I went hunting with, hunting with my son. The, t- the truck battery was dead when we got back. And I said, well, you get in the truck. I'm going to push it. And I thought, if I push hard enough, maybe it will help my headache. And I pushed till my veins bulged in my neck. And I looked back and said, God, you were so kind to keep me from doing something really stupid. And I guess I won't overcome your sovereignty. So thank, thank God you're sovereign over stupid people like me. So I believed that I could trust him. So he, they ran the test. They think it's a cavernous hemangioma. And we're going to send you home, and six, we'll, take, we'll take more MRIs till the blood resorbs. And when it resorbed, that's proved what it was. It was indeed that. And they went in uh, nine months later and did brain surgery, went in through here and took that area out. And, and I was pain-free. Uh, before I went into the surgery, I had the pain going away, and then I had some other weird symptoms afterwards. But God took care of it. Now, that's a testimony, but it's a testimony to make the points how deeply does God know you and what is going on in your life? He knows all your ways intimately, even before you were born. And through all of life, he is there and orders our steps. He hems us in behind and before. You can trust him. You can trust him. How much, do you, how do you, much does the Father love us? Listen, he loves you so deeply that after Adam's fall, he sent his son into the world as a second Adam to live the life that you should live, to die the death that you deserved, and to restore your relationship back with God that, that Adam and everyone since has turned away from. He didn't have to do that. He did that. And he couldn't have done it any other way except through sending God the Son to the earth, into this world, to live and to die in our place. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you. And he did it while we were still sinners. And he will save you today, even while you're still a sinner, if you turn to him. It's just the truth. And then the last point, how specific is our Father's care? It's so precise that we will not die apart from his explicit will. We will not. 
in our lives. He, for his followers, he works all things together for good. It's mysterious to us. We can see it at times. We can understand it. There's heartbreaking things that happen. But we can trust his care to work them ultimately around for our good. One day he, in this life, we will die. I will die. But the depth of God, our God's care, his love, and his involvement will continue beyond the curtain of death into life that is truly life for all eternity. It will not change. I will never leave you or forsake you. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. And the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is, I don't know if it's symbolic or lay it out. It's not bread and water, folks. Our God is abundantly good. Every good thing is there. Every good thing. So what then shall we say to these things, Romans 8 says? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then he writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the truth for every person who is a child of God from now through all eternity. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, our hope and our trust is in you, O God. And we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. And Lord, we thank you that the grasp, when you hold our hands, your grasp on us is greater than our grasp on you. And Lord, all your promises are yes and amen. And I pray that each one here will grow in faith. And Lord, as they experience the inevitable trials of a broken world, Lord, their hope will be secure in you. And Lord, our hope is in you. Be glorified, Lord, through our faith and our trust in you, we pray in Jesus' name and through this church. Amen.